Star Trek Monthly Monday 6. How many others have you done this to? What gives you the right to hand out life and death? I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, Worm-headed sack of monkeys! Matt, Matt, Matt! Matt, Matt, Matt! Matt, Matt, Matt! Matt, Matt, meow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah! Alright, we're back, and it's Star Trek Monthly Monday number six, six months into it, and uh, um, here we are, we've uh, got a new episode of Star Trek, the original series that we're going to relive, That's and when I say we, that's me and uh, Scott Gardner, and I'm hey, Chris Hey, how Honeywell. you doing? <laughs> that's good. How are you? I'm looking forward <laughs> to this episode. I like doing this show, too. <laughs> I like... <laughs> <coughs> I like I like Doctor Spock. <laughs> He's good. He's got <laughs> weird ears. <laughs> why are why, why are we know. talking in tarred voice? Oh, I don't know. It, maybe it's that that lead candy I've been eating. I just love that Chinese candy. So, yeah, we'll be we're, we're going to be uh, covering uh, a great Star Trek episode, The Wolf in the Fold. Oh, one of my faves. One of my absolute faves, man. Me, me too. And uh, one that we used to have a lot of fun watching as kids. But before we get into that, you've been reading some Star Trek comic books, haven't you? I have been reading some Star Trek comics. And uh, these are the, the issues that I commented in our last Star Trek Monthly Monday that were sent to me um, Free, by the way, from uh, our listener, Mobile Home, Tony Guagliardo on the forum. Thank you again, Tony, for sending these. I finally got off my lazy ass and read them. And uh, this is Star Trek Romulans, The Hollow Crown, issues one and two, which is the complete series. It was only just two issues by John Byrne. Ooh. And, uh, oh, yeah. I love me some John Byrne. Now, John Byrne is one of those guys, and, and I've been guilty of doing this myself, of uh, one of these guys that, you know, like like some of the old-time artists, like, uh, well, you know, it happens to, to the best of them. Even guys like, like Jack Kirby, to where toward, you know, Kirby's later years, you know, he, he, he seemed to kind of lose it, you know. He, he went from the classic greatness of Fantastic Four and, Silver Surfer and stuff like that, and and started to churn out, you know, Devil Dinosaur and you know, Super Friends, you know, 
and you know, Byrne has taken a lot of knocks in recent years for you know some of the stuff that's just not the glory days of you know Man of Steel and Fantastic Four and X Men and all these other great titles that he'd hand, had a hand in over the years. But you know what? Every once in a while, Byrne can come in and still be the old classic great John Byrne. You know, he did it a couple of years ago with Superman, Batman, Generations. He's done it again with this. This was fucking great. And I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, he wrote this, you know, he did the, he did the art chores, of course, but he wrote this too. And this leads me to believe that uh, Byrne has got to be a serious hardcore trekker, man. I mean, this the the, the basic story in this. And I don't want to give too much away because it'll ruin it for you. I really want people to seek this out and read it. It's just two issues. Um, the basic plot in this revolves around the widow and the son that the Romulan commander that blew up his ship at the end of. Um, Oh shit! What was the first Romulan episode, Chris, with with Kirk? Remember, it, it had the guy. Yeah. It had Mark Leonard, who who went on to play Spock's father. He was the Romulan he commander. He was the Romulan commander. I don't remember yeah. the title of that. But Balance of Terror. Ba- Is it Balance been, of Terror? It, it may have been Balance of Terror. I think that's the name of it. Well, anyway, at the end of that episode, that's a cla- great classic. I, I can't wait for that one to come up in our rotation. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of that episode. The Romulan commander basically self-destructs his own ship. You know, he and he and Kirk had had kind of a stalemate thing going throughout the entire episode, and at the end, he blows up. And uh, so this story revolves around the family he left behind, and there's a lot of really good behind-the-scenes stuff with the Romulan Empire and the Praetor, who's a real ass. And what I really liked is it has um, – I want to sh- make sure I get their names right because I'm never good when it comes to Klingon names. But the Klingon the, – the, the, the Klingon that was played by the same guy who played Trelane in, uh, in that episode, you know, right. he, he played a Klingon in, um, in Trouble with Tribbles. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Was it – damn it. It's, it wasn't Kang. Koloth? No, not Kang. It was either Kor or Koloth. Anyway – the one Kang is not in this, so it's the other two big guys, Kor and Koloth. And Koloth was kind of the the slimy looking one from Errand of Mercy with the Organians. Uh-huh. So Kang is not in this one, it's the other guys. Right, Kang well, was any, the greasy face guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's drawn just like that in this. So I mean if if you're familiar with, with those Klingons, um from you know, from those episodes, and especially, I would say DS Nine fans. That yeah, that's right. I've, I'm looking at it right here. Core and Koloth; those are the two Klingons. DS Nine fans um, may remember Core and Koloth came back for a couple of episodes um, in DS Nine and were used to great effect. You know, much greater effect than they ever were used in the original Star Trek. Um, you know, they they might really enjoy this too. But I liked it because it had just a lot of. You know, when it comes to Star Trek, you know, it might bug me with my Star Wars reading, you know, to get a lot of politics and a lot of internal goings on and all that. But I love that stuff with Star Trek because Star Trek does Star Star Trek. Yeah, Yeah. it it just it works so much better, and 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 that's a large part of what makes up Star Trek is, you know, the the political skeeviness going on with the Romulans and the and the and the Klingons and all that. 
But this series was really cool because it really it gave you a lot of the backstory on the the, the behind the scenes stuff you never saw with uh, what? Yeah, I guess so. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Scotty was asking me something. It gave you a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of how the Romulan Klingon alliance came about and why the Romulans were using Klingon ships in one of the later uh, original series right. e- episodes. It's all explained, you know, how they both got the, the cloaking device and just, you know, what was going on with the two empires behind the scenes that we never, you know, we got just hints of, but we never really learned what the whole story was. This lays it all out. Plus, there's just a lot of nice nods to, you know, continuity beyond um, Balance of Terror. You know, there's another, uh, like, basically, we get to see the Romulan perspective of um, the episode where they, where the Romulans surround, uh, surrounded the Enterprise. Remember, Kirk, Kirk seemingly goes nuts in that one episode. Yes, and that's where the Vulcan across. death grip comes in. Yes, exactly, that one. I can't remember the name of it. It's not. A, I never liked that one very much. But anyway, we get a different side of the story with that. We, we get to see it from the Romulans' perspective in one part. There's uh, an offhand reference made to, uh, to uh, whichever Klingon it is in uh, The Trouble with Tribbles, you know, that he gets sentenced to basically a year of exile for, you know, for the whole Tribble incident and all that. And then there's even a a reference to the great Tribble hunt, which was something, you know, from, from DS nine continuity, you know, that, uh, you know, Odo makes a a joke at Worf's expense, something about, you know, do Klingons still sing, you know, songs of the great Tribble hunt and it kind of pisses Worf off. Uh You know, there's things like that. I mean, this really uses all of Star Trek continuity you know, to great effect, and it's just really a. Oh, it was a fantastic read. I really enjoyed it. It really has made me regret that that I haven't checked out more of these IDW um, Star Trek comics, especially the ones that Burn has done. And I'm going to go and hunt them down now because this is this is definitely. Uh, I was not know, even aware of their existence, and now I want to read them really bad. Yeah, this this was great, and I mean this. I would like to send something like this to J.J. Uh, Abrams and say, look, this is how you do a fantastic Star Trek story. You don't scrap the continuity and start over. You embrace it and use it to, you know, yeah, to your advantage. Right. And really, There's plenty there that you can sh- add shading to or, add, you know, it's, it's roughly – it's only – all of it's so roughly worked out that you have lots of – wiggle room, you know, oh, yeah. and while, while still staying within the continuity, you know, and, uh, well, you know, the thing about it is, with that is, it's too late now, <laughs> I guess yeah, the movie's pretty much done, you know, yeah. just waiting to come out, so. But, uh, yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend this, especially, I mean, What's great is this. This would this should appeal to a lot of different kinds of comics fans. It should naturally appeal to um, Star Trek fans that have really been itching for a good comic book Star Trek read. But also anybody who, if you've ever been any kind of John Byrne fan, whether you know even only just a lukewarm John Byrne fan, you will really enjoy this because man, I'm telling you, he he brought his A game with this. This is John Byrne of old, beautiful art. 
I mean, the characters, you know, the characters that we have seen before in this, and we, you know, there's several of them, you know, the, some of the Klingon characters we've seen before, um, Mark Leonard's Romulan character we saw in that one episode, they look just like the people. I mean, it's not one of those, you know, where, where they look muddy or anything. I mean, they, they're, they're spitting images and, uh, you know, Burns Romulus is just beautiful. It's one of those really, you know, futuristic, like, like retro futuristic, you know, like, like the sixties version of what the future would look like kind of, kind of cities mixed sort of with like his, uh, his Krypton, you know, like from man of steel or world of Krypton. So it's a weird, just a really neat looking, beautiful, weird alien hybrid planet that he really flushes out in, you know, burn always was good at stuff like that. You know, just look at his fantastic four run, you know, when, whenever they would go off into space or the negative zone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was always great at, at really making the alien world feel, real and functional and something that had been lived in and that that's and what this alien hit. at the same time oh yeah yeah absolutely so yeah i i can't recommend this enough and i can't thank tony enough uh thanks a lot tony Th- this was really fantastic so now i gotta check out uh some of the other stuff that burns i know he's doing one right now called uh star trek crew and uh, I might just have to break my my three ninety nine rule to to tra- track that down and buy that because that you know if it's half as good as this I'll just love it. Well, I'm heading to my local comic shop, probably not today, but probably within the next couple days. So I'm gonna see if I can hunt those down because I buy so few comic books that I don't really pay attention to the prices of them. I'll pay more for it if it's gonna be if it's gonna be good because. You know, I'm not buying ten books at a time, so it's right. it's in my budget, even though it's not really in my budget since I'm unemployed. But <laughs> Walking Dead will always be in my budget, but I may just throw some Star Trek in there too, and I may even pay the money and write J.J. Abrams a a letter and just say, you know, I may have to kill you if you screw this up. I'm sure, there's <laughs> other people who are doing it because you know, I mean. I ha- I just saw I, I, the other day. Well, they, they put out a new preview for it, a new trailer, which I liked a lot. It seemed to have a little more character stuff in it, and it seemed to hint that Kirk could be really good, or it could be Kirk-like. But it's still it's still just sort of an action adventure, you know, focus with a lot of really granted nice-looking special effects. Um, I hear there's some time travel in it, but then I then I go and I watch like interviews with J.J. Abrams or where he's in a panel, and he just comes off as the young Hollywood douchebag. Yeah, just just smarmy and a little bit condescending. And speaking of smarmy and a little bit condescending, here's something. It's been, I read it on the forums last night, and it's just so typical, and. Uh, of condescending this is uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. Did you read this? They're changing no. their name to Sci-Fi, spelled, I think. Oh S-C-Y-F-Y, yeah, I, I did F-Y, see something. Yeah, yeah. Know? And they're doing that to take it away. They they don't want it to be associated with geeky things. I think was a quote. You know, you know, we don't want it associated with people who live in their mom's basement and have bad, you know, bad. Um, cleanliness and uh, it was just you, you know you know what I 
You know what I say to that, don't you? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> G-F-Y. Um, but I, I read that, and that, that sort of... It reminds me of that J.J. Abrams sort of attitude that I just get from him, which is like, I hey, thank God I'm getting a hold of Star Trek because I will... Hippify it, it. I will. I will take it away from the geeks and make as if that's, as if, and, and, as if the geeks are something that are undesirable too. As if the geeks aren't the main audience. As if the geeks, aren't in the ma- aren't the mainstream now. You know, he's he's acting as if, as if there's this like hip majority of people when it's really just a small amount of people who th- want people to think they're cool, that become. I don't know. Something about just you know, everything about I've... his body language, the way he talks, just comes off to me as one of those hipster, gelled-haired douchebags. <laughs> and I'll you know, go on record I... saying it without knowing the guy personally. I think I made this point before, or at least I attempted to make this point before, and I don't know how successful I was at it, but I, I think it bears reiterating. I think it comes down to the simple fact that we're all that's left. You know, I mean, not that it was ever cool. I'm not saying that. But, you know, it's not cool to pick on black people anymore. It's not cool to pick on gay people anymore. I mean, I'm I'm speaking of like the media or, you know, poking like they used to in the movies or they used to on TV or whatever. You know, the, the, the times have changed with political correctness and everything else. And none of that shit's acceptable anymore. And, you know, the the last thing that they used to say, oh, the last group left is fat people. I, I think they're even off the board at this point. You know, well, you've got shows like... they got to be off like, the board. They're the majority of Americans. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That shit demographic. <laughs> yeah, it hits a little close to as home. As a matter of fact, just, just a side note is if you'll notice commercials that depict Joe Average, Joe Average mm-hmm. is getting pretty beefy. And commercials oh, yes. now. He's not a slim, trim, and shaped guy. He's kind of a beefy, slobby guy now. But who does that leave you? That leaves you us. Yes. That leaves you the geeks and the nerds and the whatever. And, you know, the the biggest thing is why they continue to get away with it with shit like uh, that, that fucking show, that Big Bang. You know how they get away with that shit? We don't fucking fight back. We put up with it. Hell, I even, I've heard from a lot of people since I made that comment before about that Big Bang Theory. They they defend. Oh yeah, I like that show. Yeah, it's not about whether you like it or whether you don't. Is whether you you know have some fucking pride in yourself and realize, dude, they're talking about you. They're making fun of you. Yeah. They're poking fun at you and saying, you know, that you were a bunch of nose picking, no fashion sense, fucking, no you know, life. yeah, no, no just so- a- social skills. Which I gotta say, this every stereotype is has some basis in reality and those type of people do exist you see them at comic conventions and stuff but for the most part you know but for the most part the people that you find in in who are reading comics and seeing science fiction movies are just people they're they're normal well, you people. know what they have families they're married you know, uh, my answer to jobs. that is yes there, there may be geeks that fit the geek stereotype but you know what there's black people that fit the black stereotype too but I oh, wouldn't yeah. go up to one of them and say hey you all eat watermelon and eat fried chicken without getting my fucking teeth knocked out right. and it should be the same way for us you know well, if somebody comes up stereotype to you and is that we won't like kick a, your ass <laughs> well, you know I want that t-shirt that got passed around a, a while back on all the message boards I never actually saw it but I heard about it and it was, uh, oh, what the hell was it? it? Said yes, I read comic books. 
No, I don't live in my mom's basement. Yes, I have kissed a girl, and yes, I can kick your ass. And I mean, you know, I might not be the, you know, there there might be a lot of those. If you made a checklist of the geek stereotypes, I'll admit I probably fit, you know, a, a good Some half of dozen of them. I got but, glasses. You know, ain't nobody, you know, ain't nobody picking on me for the shit because I'll kick their ass. So I, 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 I think mean, more of us need to have that attitude. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what. In high school, I had my glasses, and I, I'll have to say, about half the time, they were held together with a piece of tape. All right. <laughs> It's I, your I, fault. Did, I did not have a pocket protector, but I had the button-up shirt. So did you, man. We both had the fucking the the corduroy pants and the button-up shirts, and you know the pants that were a little high water because they were from two years ago, you know. And uh, you know, we we were both pretty pretty, and we liked Star Trek and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what. Now that I'm an adult, I'll kick. I will kick someone's ass. <laughs> You know, and hey, my glasses are wireframe now, and and they're in good shape. And I welcome will, yeah. to two violent freaks, <laughs> two, two pissed off nerds, two there pissed off geeks. The the fighting geeks will kill you, will cut you, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's true. Well, you know, the thing is, a lot of the people who used to make fun of the nerds uh, have. Or, or the the type of person that would have made fun of the nerds and been like the the hipster popular person in high school. These days, a lot of those people dress up like nerds, you know, the, and that that drives me nuts too. There's this whole sort of geek chic, chic that's that's out, you know, because you know movies like Iron Man and you know geek movies and Watchmen are a big deal now. I think and, we're in uh, a time warp because I think we've talked about we've talked about this, this before, before. <laughs> but I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep talking about it till we start the geek revolution, till we start like storming down the uh, the streets and and giving the jocks a little bit of uh, something to worry about. <laughs> yeah, all we those, need to uh... all those times I got noogies and and and. Oh, what what the what the hell is it where they pull your underwear up into your ass crack? Wedgie, wedgies and swirlies and I never got a swirly. I am proud to say I never fucking got a swirly. I've never known anybody who got it. Swirlies were just this legend that went around when you were in middle school, and they're like, and you know, your first day of high school, they chase down freshmen and give them swirlies and all that stuff. Oh no, I'm sure that some of the some of the kids that we went to school with probably did get them, but. You know, like I say, as 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 timid and everything, and as scrawny and and unable to stand up for myself as I may have been in high school, even that would have been beyond my fucking tolerance level. I'd have been like like a cornered animal I'll if if something. I thought there was a swirly coming. Out. You know, I'd fucking bite and claw and <laughs> yeah. pull a pull a friggin' Mike Tyson and bite their ears off or something before I'd let somebody put my fucking head in the uh, toilet, you I know? You know, but the thing is in high school um I was kind of a, I was kind of pa- pacifistic and wimpy. You weren't too pacifistic and wimpy in high school. You would you would you would get in confrontations with people more often. You just you know, we both looked like geeks. You acted less like a geek than me. You would you would uh you would get in someone's face more, you know. You would, uh, you would, you, you, if someone messed with you, they would think twice about it, you know. And it may not have been like you would go and beat them up, but you would definitely, 
make them think maybe I should take this person seriously and not mess I, with them. I was I've always just been better at, at, at pulling off the crazy person. Right. You know, right, I've exactly. always been you know, before I actually, you know, because I, I attribute, you know, my, my present attitude and my ability to, to defend myself now, you know, to, to going through the Air Force and all that. But before that, a lot of it was just bluff. A lot of it was yeah. just, you know, people want somebody, it was probably my father, but somebody yeah. at one point in my life told me, you know, less people will fuck with you if they think you're crazy. Yeah. You know, if they think you're just, you know, that you're one step away from being a homicidal fucking maniac, they'll leave you alone. Yeah, they won't really and so that was a lot of my act in, in, in high school in particular was the crazy person. Yeah, you know, you could probably kick my ass, but maybe I'll bite your fucking throat out right, while right. you're doing I'll it. I'll chew you know? your leg right off your body and then start hitting you with it. <laughs> and it's surprisingly and, effective. Yeah, and and yeah, and I rem- I would remember you would get in situations and out would come the like Batman voice of just like you don't want to do it. you know the dirty hairy thing would start where you'd be you know <laughs> you don't want to do that you don't want to take my whip away from me just try just reach for the whip go on. Try it. Try me. You don't listen too good, do you, asshole? <laughs> I just remember, I remember walking into school one day. You had your whip around your shoulder, and we're walking down the hallway, and this one teacher just comes up and goes, Ah, Scott, you can't bring that whip. You, you can't bring that into school. Give it to me. And you just put your arm up onto the whip on your shoulder, and you said, Try to take it away from me. And he was like, Okay. All right. <laughs> And off we went to class. Off we went. Uh, those are the. You days. are painting a lovely picture of me for to our listeners. Thank uh, you very well, much. Don't worry, I'll, I'll be smearing paint all over myself all <laughs> regularly too. Well, with that, we should go to break, and yeah. I want to hunt up that that clip of uh, of Jason Lee from from. Uh, from mall rats. Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics he can't start some shit? I'll fucking take all you want! Hey, ladies. You've probably heard some of those bad stereotypes about us so-called nerds. Well, two true freaks are here to prove all that trash talk wrong. Come on into the captain's quarters, baby. Does the smell of mylar turn you on? What's that? Yeah, baby. All 97 long boxes are full to capacity. Oh, do you feel a little faint? Let me pull out my tricorder and take some readings. But first, let me draw these original Star Trek The Motion Picture curtains. Hey folks, it's Maury Clawhammer here, and I personally guarantee that Two True Freaks is always hot, and it's always topless, okay? And it's available 24 hours a day on the internets. Get your freaks on! TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com Hey, we're back and we're going to get to our uh, main topic, which is the great Star Trek episode, Wolf in the Fold, written by Robert Block, the great, awesome... Rob Blockhead. The horror writer who is responsible for Psycho. For Psycho, one of, one yeah. One of the greatest movie. movies of all time. And uh, two other Star Trek episodes, um, 
what what did you what was what were what are little girls made of and um, what are little girls made of and cat's paw cat's with paw. Captain Captain Yes, a favorite. But uh, uh, of those three, I think this one is by far the the oh, best yeah, absolutely. one. Absolutely, and it's absolutely. sort of a, a mixture of mystery, horror, and science fiction. Really leaning on the horror in this one, and uh, basically the story is uh, Scotty has. Uh, before the episode started, uh, we find out that Scotty had been in a little accident, an explosion, and and hit his head, and. Uh, they make really sure to tell you that it was a woman who was responsible for the explosion. So Scotty was a little little peeved off at, at women, perhaps. So um, Kirk and McCoy, in a, a rather uh, self-serving but yet very kind manner, decide to help Scotty recover from his trauma by taking him down to the planet Argelius Two, where um, it's sort of. <clears throat> I guess it looks like like Istanbul. It looks like a Middle Eastern country, but it's sort. Of, I think it's sort of this um, Amsterdam sort of sort of hedonistic planet where you know prostitution and vices are legal, and I think that the people are are beyond jealousy and petty, angry emotions. So there's no murder. There's no violence. It's a strictly you know enjoyment-based society. So they've brought basically Scotty down into a brothel, it looks like, of some sort, where there's a hoochie-coochie girl dancing a belly dance, and, uh, you know, and they're all watching her, and Kirk informs Scotty, you know, hey, uh, she's coming over to our table, you know, basically saying, hey, maybe Kirk McCoy and I pitched in, she's all yours. So uh, Scotty's naturally really into this, being the, the drunken Scotsman that he is. He's, you know, pounded on the table with his uh, Aberdeen pub cheer and uh, hooks up with the young lady. Well, when when uh, after they leave, there's a scream, and uh, when Kirk and McCoy run to investigate, you know, there's Scotty holding a knife, and the woman stabbed multiple times dead on the ground. But, uh, okay, so Scotty is taken into custody by uh, Hengist, who's, you know, the sort of, sort of law in that area, and uh, they bring in Jairus, who's the prefect of the area, and whose wife is a, a traditional psychic of the planet. So they're, you know, thinking of using her to figure out what's what's going on because they're probably, they're, there hasn't been a murder on this planet in a long time. They don't know what, what to do. They've thought that that was all behind them. And Kirk's in a sticky situation because it looks like his engineer has, has murdered, a, you know, a local of this planet. And um, this planet... Besides being a good place for shore leave, which Kirk and McCoy are, seem to be really into, it's also a, a very strategic spaceport in the area. So it's the only spaceport in, for four parsecs, I think they say, or something. Whatever you know, whatever random area it is, but it's an it's an important spaceport. So the the Federation has uh, a vested interest in in keeping it, and not pissing them off. They have Scotty in custody, and they decide to sort of check out what's going on. And uh, Hengist says, well, I'm going to go round up a couple other people who were in the club before they left and uh, bring them here to question them. And Kirk says, in the meantime, I'm going to have a, a person come down with a psycho tricorder to uh, to test Scotty and see, you know, what his memory is. Because Scotty doesn't remember anything. He 
he completely blacked out and just woke up with a knife in his hand. I don't remember. So in, in the meantime, Jairus is is. Um, wife has gone to meditate in preparation for trying to figure out something. So everybody's going to sort of see their plan through to get get to the center of this. Meanwhile, the girl from the the Enterprise comes down with the psychotransporter, and in some really strange um, slip of logic, they send her all off alone with Mister Scott, basically, <laughs> to to go get his psycho tricorder reading. So. You know, Hengus is left to go get the round up the people from the bar, and Jarrus is just sort of hanging out with Kirk and McCoy. He says, "Well, let me see the murder weapon because I got to give it to my wife because she picks up psychic impressions off it, and it, it's a classic sort of like murder weapon." I thought you had a murder weapon. What do you mean? I thought you had the murder weapon. Where is it, knuckleheads? Where's the murder weapon? <laughs> so, they know, as soon as they figure out where's the knife, what, what happened to the knife? There's another scream. It's in the chick by this point. Yeah, at this point, it's been in the chick like five or six times because there she is flat <laughs> on her belly on the floor. And, of course, Mr. Scott's standing there, of course, not remembering anything again. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so, meanwhile, right, at, right as soon as this has happened, uh, Hengus comes back with the two guys from the bar, and uh, they, they inform him that there's been another murder, and uh, they start questioning the two guys at the bar. Turns out one of them is the first murdered girl's boyfriend who's jealous, which is scandalous in this society because nobody, nobody's jealous anymore. So that, that was sort of a scandal. And her father, who was one of the mu- uh, musicians when she was dancing. So they're, they're, both, they're both sort of suspects. Maybe the, um, the, the boyfriend being more of a, of a um, suspect because of his jealousy and because of that being such a rare thing there. Her father certainly seems to believe that that guy might have done it. So, um, meanwhile, Kirk is still not really believing that Scotty did it, but uh, at the same token, they think psychologically, hell, you know, Scotty might have a little bit of um, resentment towards women. Coupled with his head wound, he might be blacking out and killing women. So it doesn't look very good for Scotty. In the meantime... Jairus' wife, Saibo, is his, uh... Sibo. Sibo. Sibo, Saibo. Sobo, Sibo, Saibo. Skidoo. <laughs> 23 Skidoo. Meanwhile, she's arrived back, and, uh... So everybody gets in a circle, and they have a space seance to d- determine what is going on here. Just what the hell is going on. So, of course, the lights dim, and then we get this great camera angle from the ceiling. You know, where you can see everybody sitting around the the table which has a little fire burning in it and of course she starts detecting she goes into a trance and starts detecting you know an evil presence that's been around since the dawn of time and feeds off pain and and uh starts um just generally saying some weird like what was it baratus red jack and something else just some sort of nonsense syllables and and uh all of a sudden the lights go out there's a scream the lights come on and there's Mr. Scott, you know, standing up, holding on to Sibo. Uh, she falls down, knife planted firmly in her back. And, you know, Mr. Scott's hands are soaked in blood. So once again, it's looking pretty bad for, for Mr. Scott. So now everybody's in, in, in turmoil, you know. Um, Hengist is just ready to, um, you know, have Mr. Scott executed, and we find out Throw also. Him under the jail. Yeah, we also, yeah, we also find out that if Mr. Scott's found guilty, that the um, 
murder penalties on this planet, which haven't been used in ages and ages, are basically slow torture until you die. So, so Mr. Scott's not too happy about this. By this time, his hair is like plastered to his forehead. He's sweating. He's grinding <laughs> his teeth. He's just flipping out. Because, you know, Scotty's just such a good-natured guy. He just likes to drink and fight a little bit and 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 we meet some fair lassies and work on his his machinery and and that's it he doesn't want to get involved in this murder stuff so he's in turmoil kirk starts saying hey look you know we got to get to the bottom of this we've got equipment on the enterprise basically he's saying they have it turns out what he's saying is they have a lie detector on the the computer acts as a lie detector so they bring scotty up on onto the enterprise and uh jerris and um Hengist and um, the the first murdered girl's father and her boyfriend also come along, and they have sort of some sort of informal hearing. You know, where first they're asking Scotty what was going on, and come to find out, Scotty didn't black out when um, when Sibo uh, was killed. He heard her scream, went up to see what was going on, and then felt a thing, you know, pass by him. Something weird was in between him and her for a second. And then he was holding her dead body, and so then in this in this part's a little bit stretching it. But Kirk and Spock start sort of following the logic and running the names. You know, they start going over what was said in the seance and the words Red Jack and um, Baratus, and they start running them through the computer. And you know, the computer spits out, "Well, Red Jack was a nickname for Jack the Ripper in the 20th century," and Baratus was a killer of women on this planet, and they start getting this picture of um, mass killer of women um, moving from planet to planet over a course of time up until the present day. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty clear progression. And at this point, Hengus is just saying, and anybody else, any real court would be, anybody in a real court would be like, what is this, you know? You have such an obvious case of Scott and these guys are coming up with maybe there's an interdimensional entity and they're making <laughs> such suppositions as saying like now couldn't there you know they're asking the computer this is this is priceless stuff when they ask the computer hey um uh what do you think the odds is is it possible for there be a creature that feeds on hate oh yes yes working yes there is oh okay well it's all possible but after a while, it starts painting a pretty definite picture. You know, things start, facts start coming together, and it starts becoming actually kind of credible that something has been jumping from person to person and moving out through space as man has been and uh, just murdering women. And they figure it murders women because women have more fear than men. They're easier to get fear out of. So um, then they start looking at the murder weapon and they notice it's from Rigel 4 and uh and then they realize well Hengus Hengus you're from Rigel 4 too and then then Hengus is is starting to squirm by now and he's just saying well that's ridiculous you guys are just making this up blah 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 so we're, Hengus we want to put you in the chair so that they start pretty much you know getting him cornered and just when they're about to like pretty much prove that he's pretty much the murderer. That's when he shows his hand as Red Jack and jumps up, tries to escape, attacks Kirk. They wrestle him down, 
and he just dies. He's just laying on the ground dead. What happened to him? The lights go out. He's leaped. His consciousness has leaped into the computer and taken over the computer of the Enterprise and uh, turns all the video screens into these great swirling smoky portals into hell and starts taunting the crew in Hengist's voice in a distorted slowing down and speeding up voice of Hengist starts telling the crew you know how he's going to horribly kill them and trying to whip up fear um, as a fe- you know feeding frenzy and a prelude to killing everybody so um, Kirk and Spock decide we got to we got to get control of the ship because since he controls the computer he's controlling all the ships ship stuff so they they get a manual override but that's not going to hold him forever and then Scott and then Spock does the classic um, fuck with the computer trick where he has a computer calculate the <laughs> the square root of pi which everybody knows is an infinite and and in a classic in classic move he says computer calculate the square root of pi and then looks at Kirk and goes as everybody knows pi is an infinite fraction and cannot be solved and and it's like well if everybody knows that why are you bothering to explain it and wasting time that you could be opening up a panel and getting to work Mr. Spock <laughs> so they, so they've got the computer chewing on that that buys them some time and then Kirk decides hey McCoy do you have any sedatives why don't you give everybody in the crew a sedative so they can't get scared so McCoy whips up a, a bunch of sedatives and and you know distributes his ensigns around the ship to um to give everybody a shot of happy juice which certainly works it really has a um maybe it's cuz Sulu's so skinny but boy it has a super effect on Sulu he's like getting up out of his maybe, pose maybe it's cuz he's kind of predisposed to be happy he's, maybe he's a little happy in the to first begin place with. you know yeah. what i'm saying well he becomes really happy in this one he's he looks like he's gonna happy himself right down onto the ground and fall asleep <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny and it's this was filmed in the 60s so everybody there might have you know really you know done a little research into how to acting how to act happy on uh on the set so anyway <laughs> so anyway with the crew sedated it's down to um Jarris and Spock, Kirk and McCoy. And all of a sudden the computer's freed up and Kirk realizes, you know, here McCoy, give yourself a shot. I don't think Kirk ever gets a shot and I don't th- I think they're going to get I think it's before they give Jarris a shot, but they're going to give Jarris and and he's possessed. Boom, he's back in um Hengist's Hengist. body. And uh so they take so they take Hengus and they give him a shot of the happy juice, take him to the transporter, and just beam him out onto space with the widest dispersal that they possibly can. And then Kirk, you know, speculates pretty much, well, he'll just sort of float around, but he won't be able to do anything, and he'll eventually die. And then uh, we sort of leave the Starship Enterprise with... Uh, Kirk and Spock being the only non-medicated members of the crew with a whole crew full of wasted people for the next five hours. I believe it was Spock's idea, but Spock, um, somebody makes the, you know, the suggestion that, well, since the whole crew's so happy, maybe uh, they should, he should take, just take shore leaving. Off the Enterprise flies, wasted and happy, leaving behind Red Jack the Jack the Ripper to float in space infinitely 
spread out by the transporters. Great episode. I don't remember a lot about it other than I didn't think much of it, but Red Jack does come back. Of course. To trouble the crew of the Enterprise. Well, actually, the I think it's the Excelsior in this story. It was uh, in uh, Star Trek 22 and 23 of the of the DC Comics series. Um, there, there was a two-part story where, where it did come back and possessed a crewman. Uh, but like I said, I just don't remember all that much about it. I don't right. remember it being one of the spectacular yeah. stories of the series. But uh, Well, you know, in the comics, they bring back almost every character yeah, and everybody from, comes back, yeah. Yep. Yep. But, um, Khan, Khan kind of loses his uh, uniqueness because all of the... You know, anybody <laughs> who was anybody on, on the, you know, the original series comes back at one time or another, you know, from Trelane to Red Jack. So, yeah. yeah, they all do. But, yeah, this this is a fantastic episode, man. It's completely the, unrealistic, I, but it's just pure fun, you know? Well, it is because it, it goes from – it has so many different layers. You know, it starts out kind of lighthearted and fun with the whole opening sequence. Then it goes into the murder mystery and then it goes, you know, when when Hengus, when the spirit jumps from Hengus <laughs> into the computer, it yeah. just goes completely hilarious. Yes, man, you know, having you know, for for those that don't know, the the actor who plays Hengus in this is John Fiedler, who literally was the voice of Piglet in the Winnie the you know yes. the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and you know, for for the rest of Fiedler's life, he did. The voice of Piglet, you know, and all the subsequent uh, Winnie the Pooh things, right up until he died, and so you you've literally got a voice, you know, the computer voice on the Enterprise threatening, you know, death and horrible destruction. Wow, die but horribly in the voice of Piglet. <laughs> so it's just freaking hysterical, you know. Yeah, it, it cracks me up to no end, but. Uh, uh, what what did you have for notes on this one? Because I've got a slew of good ones oh, on this. There's, there's all sorts of well, you know, there's just so many layers of there's so many things that you have to overlook for this. But Robert Block is such a skillful writer that he knows that. But he knows he's just it's 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 kind of ridiculous because he's getting so much information into a one hour show. You know, t- so many twists and turns, and he keeps it twisting and turning. So. That you can't really dwell on how ridiculous, you know, some of the assumptions that are made and some of the things like just leaving Scotty alone after he's suspected of killing a woman. And even Kirk and McCoy are like thinking, well, you know, it's possible. And then, you know, they leave him alone with uh, the woman with the psycho tricorder. <laughs> and, and stuff like, you know, stuff stuff like that's a little, a little bit. Uh, and, um, you know, I noticed. There's a character who's lost his daughter, a character who's lost his wife, and a character who's lost his girlfriend. And they all are just there. And and murder just doesn't happen on this planet. They should be almost comatose, you know, because they're a gentle and evolved people. And you know, Jarrus, after losing his wife, either he's a master of composure, and the same and the same with the musician who's lost his daughter and the the man who's lost his girlfriend. You know, they're they're just a little, a little too rational, or a little too—I um, don't want to say unfazed, but they are almost a little unfazed. They're, they're, they're right. More, they're not terribly shaken. Yeah, they're just—they're just there, and 
they're just there to serve the story, really. And and like every true mystery story, this is another thing that I really liked about it, is uh, everybody had their little shifty-eyed scene where something happened and you got a close-up of them and, and they were, you know, with a really uh, suspicious look in their eyes and looking at something or and, and skulking out of the room or something. So, so feasibly, almost everybody but Kirk and McCoy were suspects in it, you know. Right. Um, everybody had, like, a little moment where they would make a little look at somebody else that was unexplained until everything tied up at the end. And I, I always like that, you know. They they keep you guessing as to... And, uh, and of course, you know, uh, uh, like, the boyfriend... The boyfriend is a great red herring because he's jealous and he's... And, uh, you know, the father's like, she never loved him and he knew it and blah, blah, blah. And, and he was getting pretty shifty-eyed. But then you notice as soon as the blame is taken off them, as soon as you realize they can't do it, they stop shifty-eyeing. You know, there's no need to make them look suspicious anymore. So <laughs> the character's sort of allowed to relax and, and just go along with the story. But, you know, all those criticisms aside, it's just... It, it's just one, it's wonderfully filmed... Um, the lighting is awesome. It's just very melodramatic in that classic Star Trek. The music, I can't even... Uh, the, the music is hijacked from, from mostly other episodes, but it still That's, works That was actually one of the things I wanted to touch on was that uh, the, the, the show starts with that belly dancing sequence yeah. at the beginning with a little... With a little cashmere band or whatever you call it you know playing their little number and in, in the and the girl that gets murdered later is doing her little hula hula dance there yeah. and you know the the band that's playing has what i would call cantina band syndrome which is <laughs> right. you know in star wars anytime somebody goes into a cantina in a video game or whatever it's always and it seems like in Star Trek, every time somebody's playing, you know, this piece of music, it's always the same thing. It's it's Vina the sla- the Orion Slave Girl dance and, and, from and, and, uh, from the cage, you know, and and that's the piece of music they're playing and here. It is. And, and and another thing that's always amazing, and it's always and it's also part of the Cantina Band syndrome. And uh, I think I wanna, I think we should maybe go to a break after this point and come back. Cool. With more, but we'll we'll leave it on. Don't you notice with those bands that somehow you get these little three-piece bands of guys sitting on pillows? That that. But when you listen to it, there's probably about twelve to fifteen instruments playing. <laughs> yes. All these all these complicated <laughs> things, and you got three guys just sort of mellowly sitting there, moving their fingers back and forth. Well, that's Schroeder this. syndrome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the. It's, yeah, it's the Schroeder effect. <laughs> it's, you know, where the person has like ten invisible hands playing other invisible instruments to keep it all going. Alright, well, we'll be back in a few minutes with more Trek Talk. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk, brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. Entities would exist without form in conventional sense. Most probable mass of energy, a highly cohesive electromagnetic field. Computer, could the described entity assume physical form? Affirmative, President. 
Miletus, cloud creature of Alpha Majoris One. Fairy tales, ghosts and goblins. No, I've seen the Miletus myself. In its natural state, it's gaseous. When it's at rest, it's solid. Mr. Spock, let's assume the existence of this creature. And let's assume that that's the end of your moment of Kirk. And return to our show. Okay, we're back with the final part of our analysis of the classic Star Trek episode, Wolf in the Fold. And probably the thing I like the most about this episode, besides Killer Piglet, is... (laughs) You know, watching this again, I realized just how many classic Trek-isms and especially classic Kirk-isms are in this episode that I never really thought about before because, you know, this is one of those type of TV shows, you know, or, you know, the type of episodes where, you know, you take a TV show with a, with a big cast and, you know, there'll typically be a, you know, a Joe episode and a Frank episode, yeah. and a, you know. Pete episode. Well, this is the Scotty episode of Star Trek, and that's how you tend to think about it. So you don't think about it having Kirkisms or what. But man, it this one does because <laughs> you know right off the bat, right before the the cre- we even get to the credits, you know, there's the part where the where Scotty's walking the girl home and she screams, and Kirk poses. Then runs. Then he runs to the doorway and he poses again. So you get like two Kirk poses within a matter of just a couple seconds of each other. You know, classic Kirk hero poses. Yeah, I they're, love the, they're the stop and listen and decide where you're going to leap into yep. action pose. Stop, listen, leap into action. Stop, yep, and listen. Run, run to the pursue. doorway. Stop, pose. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's classic Kirk. And then, uh, well, you you said you also kept count. I counted two she's de- dead Jim and one he's dead Jim in this episode. You can't have a cla- a classic Star Trek episode without hearing he's dead Jim or, or some derivation of it at least one time. It's just not a classic Star Trek episode without he's three. dead Jim. I love it. I love it. And then you get, you know, I also, you know, one of the things that definitely makes a classic uh, Star Trek episode for me is when Kirk yells at somebody. Oh yeah, usually when they don't even really deserve it. Yeah. Although in this case, Hengus deserved it, but I, I love it when when Kirk, he you know, he, I, I love seeing him. You know, you, you've called it many times a slow burn. Yeah. I love seeing Kirk do the slow burn where he just gets more and more impatient. And you can't tell he's. You can tell he's getting pissed, but you can't tell is he going to yell at the person or is he just going to hit him? Just going to flat out slug him, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> or this, both. This one, you know, we get the best of both worlds because first he yells at the guy in one scene. He says, "Why don't you stand there, man? Uh, get on with it, or whatever the hell he says." It's it's hysterical. But then also, you know, we get the classic Kirk. Pull the fist way the hell back and just roundhouse somebody. You know he does that one later in the episode too. That when he when he belts uh, when he belts, uh, I think it's Hengus that yeah, he belts. Yeah, it is because he because he kills him. Well, you said that something about uh, when Hengus goes all ape shit. There, there was some oh, yeah. something about a stuntman or something. Oh yeah, another classic, the mismatched stuntman. That you know, back to the back to you know the enemy within style, where um when if if anybody's watching this, if you're watching it like on your computer, if you're watching like the link that I have that goes to the CBS, 
you know, official CBS thing of it. Blow it up to full screen when you watch this, <laughs> and you can. It's just very apparent that the when Hengis, you know, they have a close up of him, you know, jumping up out of his seat. But then when the when the camera goes to a long shot and he's running around the table and he jumps up and does a Kirk kick to Kirk in the in the chest. It's just it's a stuntman in with a bald wig on with a very poorly fit bald wig on. It's just it's great. He's not even really built like Hengus and just jumps up and and it's a very Kirk like kick, except it's a one legged he's like got one leg stuck out in the other leg in a sort of you know, ninety degree so his legs sort of make a number four, you know what I mean? It's it's a kind of a fancy jump kick where Kirk just jumps up and uses both feet to slam him in the chest. This guy's more like a knife. A lot of good it did him though, because one punch from Kirk and he's dead. <laughs> I think the last thing I got, and and I just added my 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 note on this a moment ago because you got me to thinking about it with the thing about Spock. You know. This wasn't a big Spock episode. <laughs> no, it wasn't. You know, but the thing about, you know, and I always remembered that scene. You know, I remembered exactly the way you were talking about it. You know, when he he tricks the computer and all that. You know, tricks the entity by you know, Pi is a transcendental number, a number without resolution, and blah blah blah. And he goes into the whole thing, and I'm, I was I always as a kid, I was always like, okay, this is the the lame part of the episode, I think. But I just got to thinking, you know, now that. You know, we're in such a computer era and everything. I, it's something I never thought about as a kid. But you know, here they are on the 23rd century. You know, they've got you know the ship of the line, state of the art technology. Yeah, everything. I think I know where you're going with this. Is yeah. this really something that would like <laughs> cripple the ship? <laughs> Having it calculate the square root of pi. This, this is something that would eventually. Tie up every system and and threaten the 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 ram well, running this ship. Let's, let's let's put it this way: any any ten year old kid these days, if you were like, you know, find out for me what Red Jack and Baratu mean, or you know, Baratus means, the kid would go do a Google, would be like, oh, Google search, you know, blah blah blah. But they're like, what can we do? And then it's like, aha. We could run it through the computer's linguistic banks. And then the computer's like, it's not a word. And they're like, well, okay, computer, just run it through the rest of your banks and find out what it is. You know, as if, and, and the computer goes, not working, not working. But meanwhile, you know, I mean, it would take, what, one-tenth of a second for Google to spit that shit out? You know, I, you know what? Okay, here we go, man. I am going on, I'm pumping up my, um my Google right now, I'm going to do a Red Jack. <laughs> I'm going to do a Google search you gotta for Red Jack. got to give them a Jack. break, though, because, you know, maybe maybe they're on Bell South, you know, and, that and could the shit's be. They could be on super fucking yeah. slow like mine is, you know? Yeah, they could be on, they could be, like, roaming. <laughs> it's, it's very possible that that's what's going on with the Enterprise, why the technology seems so slow and everything, is they've just got a fucking shit ISP like mine. That's probably what, what the deal is. <laughs> okay, you just totally circumvented my rant. But, um, also, I think it's very interesting to note this This is sort of a, a, a very 
very peripheral thing to this, but uh, that that actor I mentioned, John Fiedler, who uh, who was Hengist in this episode, and also um, Piglet. I think it's very interesting to know if uh, if the Wikipedia article on this is is even right at all. I just happened to note this and thought it was fairly interesting that uh, fellow Winnie the Pooh voice actor Paul Winchell, who was the voice of uh, of uh, Tigger. And incidentally, like Gargamel and one uh, of the guys from the uh, – oh, what the hell were they called? The the Not the Hair Bears, but what were those guys? The, the Banana Splits. Oh, the Remember banana the splits, Banana yeah. Splits? Did one of those Banana Splits and all kinds of different uh, – Dick Dastardly and all these different voices. He died – what did it say? I think it said a day before. Yeah, he died the day before. John Fiedler died. That's just weird, weird. you know, kind of, yeah, kind of eerie, you know, kind of like how uh, Charles Schultz, you know, retired like the day before he died and, and uh, John Adams and, uh, and uh, what the hell's his name? Um, Thomas Jefferson died on the same, you know, it's just one of those weird, creepy kind of coincidences yeah. thing, but well, I thought that another, was interesting to note. Here's another thing that I forgot to mention is, uh, that the story, uh, Robert Block, who wrote the, the, the story, this was based on the script, um, had also written um, a script for a, an old TV anthology show called Thriller, called Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which was about Jack the Ripper in the 60s, you know, and, and it was the same idea of, of a spirit, Jack the Ripper spirit jumping from person to person. And there was another story which I'm not really sure what the title was. It was in a Harlan Ellison anthology book that was sort of that story further on in the future. Uh, so so I think both of those stories are referenced in this one when they check the computer banks of the murder sprees. So um, it's so so Robert Block has actually referenced a couple you know horror stories that he's written in the past in the context of the story. Star Trek universe. That's pretty cool, I think. That is cool. That that basically you could we could go get watch that thriller episode and we'd know that it was Piglet killing everybody in that one too. <laughs> oh, oh man. die horribly. Insuring pain. <laughs> I like when they juice him up and he's just like <laughs> kill, kill, kill you all. <laughs> die, 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 everybody die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so, I do love this episode, though. I really, I really do. Just because it made me laugh. That's the funny that's the thing. thing. It's, it's a hearing. horror episode. Well, yeah, it's a horror is, episode. Like, when, at the beginning of it, when we were watching this as kids, we weren't laughing at the beginning. But once it gets aboard the Enterprise, yeah, it's just ridiculous. I remember just way. getting so excited when this one would come on because you knew it, it was it was like Enemy Within, yeah. Because you would you would sit through the stuff that was maybe not as interesting or not as not as uh, funny or yeah. whatever. Well, like for this one, the the thing, the big thing for me to try to wade through on this one, and I found that it, it, it hasn't lost its potency is the scene with Sibo. That shit still creeps me out. Yeah. It's She's just fucking creepy looking to begin with. And then it's using the music from the Ass Heads episode. Yeah. 
And those two things in combination with this weird medium seance thing that she's doing, it still creeps me the hell out. I still don't like that scene. So you've got to kind of wade through all that. You know, not that it's bad or anything, but once they get aboard the Enterprise and and he jumps into the computer, it, it just goes into just pure hilarious mode. I just The whole rest of it just cracks me up. And I don't know that it was intentional. I think it's supposed to scare you or freak you out. I mean, as a kid, the the scenes of hell or whatever on the monitors would would be kind of creepy. But I still think it was more funny to me than creepy, you know. But yeah. <laughs> I can just remember getting together like at uh, you know, like when when they would close down Gary's restaurant late at night, you know, and everybody would be doing the cleanup and all, and we'd all stand around and watch the end of this episode if it came on and just die, die laughing. laughing. <laughs> it's it hysterical. So yeah, this this one's got, you know, I've got fond memories on this one. It, it does crack me up. Yeah, it has, a, well, I think, hey, I think we're reaching that time. Speaking of computers, I've had my computer dun, dun, dun. trying to work out the uh, square root of pi for the last hour or so. But I'll release it from that duties and turn it into a random number generator. Do I'm going to read your... tomorrow where there is like vast blackouts. Exactly, all along the East Coast. Yep. Do you have um? Do you have your um? Episode guide. I do. I'm actually wow. fucking prepared this time. Wow. How about that shit? It only took six episodes, but no, nah, I think I'm, you were ready last time. I'm getting there. All right. Okay. I'm starting up the computer and it smells like. Greasy smoke. It's a t- tough computation to get that that random number between one and eighty. Working. All right, it's spitting it number out. Number nine. Number nine. Oh yes, number nine. 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 Dagger of the mind. This is a good one. This is the one with Simon and Gilder. Oh, is this with? Neutralizer. Neutralizer. <laughs> oh yes, I love this one. I love Dr. This Simon one. Van Gelder. Simon Van Gelder. Ah yes, I like this one. The part where he's, you know, because like poor guy is supposed <laughs> to be in like agonizing pain and stuff, but there's the one part where he's trying to say something. And I guess it's supposed to be that the pain is overwhelming him so much yeah. that he just breaks. But he's going like, <laughs> and he finally just goes, <laughs> and it just crack me up because it was like a total like, it was like a total like retard laugh. Oh, yeah. or something. This shit just cracks me up. That's another one that is, I think unintentionally funny but it is really funny oh, I'm looking forward to that wow, one we're, we are so, we're lucking out we're lucking out on all these shows so far we're like six for seven of like super high quality and the, and you know the other one is I'm saying is the cloud minders that was maybe not the best of episodes but that was but, still fun know, it's, it was still fun because yeah. even though it kind of it kind of was like yeah you know the part where like the guy throws himself out oh, yeah. of the, off yeah, the balcony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't beat oh, yeah. you can't beat that. You know, there's lots of stuff. There. And the guys with the Devo glasses and stuff like that. Yeah, there was. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's just 
you can't lose in this game. You can't lose. <laughs> so, so we'll be back in a month with Dagger of the Mind, which is a great one to go right after Wolf in the Fold, which had a lot of stabbing and daggers in it. So, no! <laughs> so... You know, next month maybe maybe I'll get maybe I'll go up into the attic and get out my neural neutralizer and soften myself up a little no. bit for this. Neutralizer. <laughs> I love it. You know, I mean, the first time I accidentally used a neural neutralizer, I thought it was a sun lamp. So I just sat down in that little chair and turned on. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the 2 True Freaks podcast. The 2 True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.